Welcome to the Told Me to Learn and Develop from Medical Educators podcast series from the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine. This podcast is for busy medical school faculty who want to expand their knowledge in teaching. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Coplett, and I will bring you interviews with experts in medical education, fellow faculty, and medical students to discuss the issues most relevant to today's medical educators. Today, we are talking about giving great presentations, from grand rounds to conference presentations to noon conference and presentations to your team. I think we all know what it feels like when we give a presentation and it flops and how it feels when our audience was engaged and loved it. We're talking about what we can do to achieve the latter, how to put together a presentation that is interesting, useful, and even inspiring. Joining me today is Dr. Michelle Daniel, Vice Dean for Medical Education at the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine. Michelle came to our school several years ago to give a talk on curricular integration, and while she was here, she gave a talk entitled Presentation Zen to our fourth-year students in the teaching elective that I ran. It was one of the most impactful professional development experiences that I have had because it inspired me to dive into the literature of effective presentations and the use of visuals and transformed every subsequent presentation that I have given. Michelle then gave me permission to steal her lecture and giving her full credit, I give a very slightly modified version of Presentations End to several groups of students and faculty every year. So who else would I call for a podcast about giving presentations? Michelle, welcome. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. So Michelle, what's the difference between teaching and giving a presentation? Well, in many ways, I think they're the same. You know, especially if you're thinking about teaching in a classroom where you're delivering a lecture. Although I think a lot of us would admit that maybe we spend a little bit more time on our presentations when we're presenting on the national stage. But I think, you know, the goal of teaching is to convey a, a really critically important idea. And I think that that's the same goal of any great presentation. So I guess when I think about teaching and presentations, you could distinguish them in the sense that maybe teaching can be a little bit more casual and presentations maybe are a little bit more of a performance art. So if you had to narrow down your recommendations to two or three things that we should do to improve presentations, what would those things be? Well, I think that there are three fundamental components to every presentation, and each one needs a little bit of love and attention. And those three things for me are the message, the visuals, and the delivery. So for the message, you know, what is the core idea that you want to convey to your audience? And let's admit it, we all have pretty short attention spans. So if you had to say, there's just one thing I want my audience to walk out of here with, what would that be? What's the thing that I want them to be talking about outside the room? If you've got a little bit of a longer talk, maybe there are two or three core messages but it really, um, 
you can't tell them everything that you know about a topic. It's just not possible. When you are a content expert, you try to cram a whole bunch of stuff in and it's way less effective than if you just focus on that core message and make that core message your through line of your talk. The journey that you're going to take that in those audience members down it and then kind of leave them in the end with that all right now you've got the tools now to go out and do this yourself so then i think of the visuals and i can't tell you how many times i've had the experience of going to a presentation and just seeing word vomit on slides and people will stand there and just read the words as though i can't read them myself and that's just really ineffective for learning. And so I think it's critical to have as few words as possible on your slides. My limit, whenever I can, six words per slide, no more. And I know that sounds really, really hard to do. I really prefer to use images, high quality stock photos, things that actually link directly to what I'm trying to convey. And images, can be really emotionally powerful and they can reinforce your words. And so, you know, an example of an image that would reinforce your words that I use in this talk on delivering effective presentations is this little bowl of Japanese sticky rice. And my point of that whole slide is just make your message stick. And so when you combine the words and that visual together, you actually have a more impactful memory for your audience. And then the third component for me is really the delivery. And that's kind of how polished are you? You know, I, presentations are performances. Um, I used to actually, uh, a little known fact about me is I used to be an opera singer. And it took me many years of being in medicine and giving presentations before I had this aha moment where I was like, ah, oh, presentations are performances. In fact, there's this cranky physician uh, named Greg Hen Henry. He's an emergency physician. Um, and he once said, medicine is just show business for ugly people. And I love that line because I really, while I don't like to consider myself ugly, I actually think that it, it's true. This is show business when you get up there and give a presentation. And so you have to think about your voice, your inflection, your diction, your verbals and your nonverbals. Are you making eye contact with your audience? There's a great TED talk um, also kind of about your posture and the poses that you use by Amy Cuddy. Um, I highly recommend looking that one up. And it, and it all matters that that delivery is kind of that icing on the cake and you want to do it um, in a calm and polished manner. So that was great. You basically just gave us the cliff notes of your entire talk about how to give presentations. So that was fantastic. But of course, if we haven't been doing all those things, we can't just run out and give this, this amazing presentation. But I think what we can do today is we can break some of these things down. So let's start with, I think it, I think it was really interesting to learn a little bit about, and, and, and now I'm backtracking, before we actually break some of these down, it's really interesting to learn about what TED Talk presenters are required to do to, to prepare for their TED Talks. Um, I think it's interesting because it's relevant for us to think about as well, if we really are thinking about 
um, are teaching as giving a presentation, um, and in most instances, giving a presentation is teaching, um, and we want to do that effectively, you know, learning from other sectors, right? So I wonder if you could just give us a little glimpse into what TED Talk presenters need to do. So I think one of the most important things um, that TED starts with is exactly what I just talked about, which is what is that idea that is transformative or inspirational and fresh that you are coming to this audience with? And they make you hone down and hone down and pair back um, to that that sort of core message. And it's a it's it's a beautiful process because along the way, you sort of realize that you have to throw out a lot of your initial thoughts and really create that through line that I talked about. And so that is one of the key things for TED. The other thing with TED is speak from the heart, speak with authenticity, speak. People can tell when you're passionate about something and when you're not. And so you it, you know if you're talking about something that you deeply care about i deeply care about presentations because it is the vehicle by which we convey our knowledge in medical education both to our students and our learners as well as on the national and international stage so i think that that's a key important thing the other thing um with ted talks is you have to practice a lot and you work with them to refine that message. And they work with you on your visuals and they work with you on that delivery. And it's interesting, there, there's actually a fantastic book for people who are interested in taking a deeper dive on this topic. Um, and it's actually called TED Talks, The Official TED Guide to Public Speaking. And it's by Chris Anderson. And so I think. Within that book, they use so many wonderful stories and vignettes of examples of talks that they've worked with people on and what's worked and what hasn't worked. And it's a really fantastic read and I highly recommend it. I think the other thing um, that really stuck with me um, about the TED process is they actually originally were sticklers for doing everything without um, without a script or without notes. They, they wanted you to sort of have a script and have that well-prepared in advance and largely have it memorized. And then they realized that, you know, some speakers are actually better when they're a little bit more off the cuff, when they have roadmapped the journey that they want to take people down. Um, but then they speak a little bit more naturally. And other people's really hit their brilliant spot when everything is scripted in advance. And so they've kind of learned that that there is a certain style and, and people need to feel comfortable, to feel confident, and that that's one of the most important aspects of delivery. I think it's great to, to learn about what speakers do for TED Talks, not just because it's interesting, which it is, um, or at least to those of us who are interested in, in teaching and giving presentations, um, but it also sort of pulls the curtain back a little bit uh, where we watch people give TED Talks and we think, wow, that person is just 
so gifted. I could never stand up there and give a talk that great. And the truth is they have been coached and coached and coached and coached um, and that there are discernible skills that they are utilizing to give that excellent talk. Um, and so it's it's very similar to um, when you think about teaching. It's really no different. And, you know, yes, there are people who are very gifted naturally in the skills of teaching, but they are skills nonetheless. So I think that that demystifies it a bit and makes it feel a little more attainable to hear that. Yeah. And I think presentations and how to deliver effective presentations is a very learnable skill. I think the most important thing though, like if you sit down and you read the book about TED Talks, don't try to do it all at once. It it will feel overwhelming to try to perfect your message, your visuals, and your delivery simultaneously. So focus on just one or two things. There are a lot of fantastic core ideas in the book that I mentioned. You know, Maybe on this talk, I'm really going to focus on my message and the journey that I'm going to take people on and how do I signpost when I'm switching topics and changing ideas and circle back to that key message. Then there's you know, the, the visuals piece, like how do I eliminate words on a slide? That can take years of practice to be able to do that. Um, and so pick one thing at a time and really try to perfect that thing because each one incrementally can make you better. That's great advice really for any behavior change, right? So if you so behavior change is hard and if you try to do it all at once you'd end up just sort of stumbling over yourself and forgetting all the things you did that actually were effective. So I think that's just such great advice to go one by one. What do you think makes a presentation really memorable. I mean, I think back to, I think back to the, to the AAMC conference, um, you know, that we just went to and, and there's always ones that stand out. And I can think back throughout my, throughout my life and career. And there are ones that still stand out. What do you think it is about those? I really do think it's that magic of when the elements of that message visuals and delivery come together. So one of my favorite talks of all time um, is actually one by Abraham Verghese. Uh, it's another one you can look up on TED. And he really talks about the power of the human touch. And he he does this amazing gesture that I'll never forget um, where he just, he says, I'm going to show you the most important innovation in medicine today. And he raises up his hand and he says, it's the human touch. And I'm paraphrasing, I didn't get it quite right, but you know, that message was so powerful. This idea that, you know, we've lost touch with, um, with that most meaningful aspect of human connection and medicine today because we're so focused on, well, what imaging studies are we going to get? And he tells great stories that are also really memorable um, that, that stand out in your mind, that, that make that moment when he uses that gesture even more powerful because he leads into it with 
things like, I can bet you if you go to a hospital today with your leg amputated, that no one is going to tell you that your leg's amputated until you get an X-ray, a CT scan, and an MRI. (laughs) You know, you're you're sort of drawn in and and it's funny and it's very memorable. So I think that that's the other thing for me about great talks is there are stories that really touch the heart. By the way, I think I've watched that TED Talk at least 20 times now. Because you you were the one who introduced me to it via your original presentation. And I haven't strayed from it. I show it. The only difference is, is that I don't talk about, um, you talked about presentations and posters, right? So I only do the presentation piece. And then I show the entire TED Talk because it's such a powerful TED Talk. And I also think it's helpful. I know the reason that you showed it and the reason that I use it too is so that you can show how all of the principles you discussed are applied by somebody doing it really masterfully. Um, But I think that you can even do it better when you have the context of the entire thing from beginning to end. Um, And it is so powerful. And it's interesting, the stories, it's about story after story that are compelling. And I hadn't thought about it before, but you're right. I remember very distinctly at the beginning when he holds up and shows you the palm of his hand. And it's the human touch, he says. And the other thing that I remember is at the very end, when he talks about his patient who was dying from AIDS, and he says, and his fingers went to his wicker wicker basket chest, and he's waving his fingers slowly through the air, almost like leaves falling down from a tree. And And it gives you chills. It gives you chills. Because we've also been and we've seen that ourselves and it is so deeply painful that the way he described it, his words, I mean, for people who don't know him, he's an author and it's very abundantly clear that he's an author because he's so masterful with his words. Um, but I hadn't thought about the, the fact that his gestures in it are really powerful as well. And we can't forget that delivery piece of using our whole self and our whole body um, to bring emotion presentation. So I wonder if, do you think that I want to, I'm going to conflate a couple of words. I was going to ask you, how do you inspire other people when you're giving a talk? And I think we touched on a little bit of that, but I think, um, the word inspire is, is what I'm thinking of, but also, um, how do you interest them? How do you get them interested in what you're interested in or what you're talking about, even if you're not interested in it. So, you know, I think the structure here is very similar. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Lorelai Lingard's work on um, writing in medical education and the structure that she uses to sort of outline an introduction is something she calls problem gap hook. And I think it's almost identical for presentations. What is the problem that you're trying to address? So when I give a talk on how to give effective presentations, I start, I kind of start out with a straw man poll and say, you know, how many presentations do you see today that are just like knock your socks off, amazing, versus most are, you know, good, average, some are terrible, you know, and and just kind of make that point of 
you know, the reason you need to listen to this is because we have a problem in medical education. A lot of us go to these conferences and some of the presentations we sit to through, like they bore us to tears. And we don't want that to be the case. We are there to be inspired and to learn. And so I think you start with that problem and then it's like, well, well, what's the gap? Well, a lot of people have never been taught presentation skills. And so you're going to fill that talk then with those tools. You're going to give them the tools to become better. And, and that kind of hook is like you draw them in because you, do you want to be a good presenter? <laughs> do you want to be better? I can make you better. And that kind of gets them on their edge of their seat to listen to what you have to say. Yeah. that re- and, and that relevance piece is so important too. So I think when you're giving a talk, it feels, if, if you're giving a talk about giving a talk, it, the relevance seems more abundantly obvious, but, you know, let's say you're giving a talk about acute renal failure, you know, how, how do you get them interested? And, and so I, I think talking about why it interests you is a great way to do it, but then also just talking about that relevance. Why should this matter to you? Why should you sit up and pay attention for the next however long? So that's, that's really helpful. So if you, so let's say, um, you've just been asked to give a new conference or a grand rounds and you sit down and start to prepare. What do you, what do you think is the very first thing you should do? The first thing you should do is put away your computer. Um, that is probably the polar opposite of what most of you do. And I say that because you really need to kind of just get all your ideas out, maybe jot them down on paper. I carry around my iPhone and like when I'm thinking about preparing a talk, I'll just jot notes down as I'm going about my daily business and so that I can return. It's kind of like my little mini brainstorm. And then I really, and in fact, one of the things I like to use the most is little sticky notes and just kind of put ideas in different sticky notes and move them around and craft that journey that I want to take people on. And then I throw some of them away and I scratch things out because, again, tearing down to that core message is just so critical. And it's funny because I've always thought about this in terms of giving presentations. And then um, I was talking, so so my daughter, my older daughter just went off to college, um, very proud mama. She's up at Berkeley right now. And it was funny when I was talking to her, she's an amazing writer And I was talking to her about, hey, honey, you know, what's your process for writing your essays for college? And she said, well, you know, I kind of, I lay down in bed at night and I think about what are the plot twists and turns that, and and what's the story that I want to tell, kind of that, that through line creation. And, and then she's like, and then an hour before my essay is due, I sit down at the computer and I write it. (laughs) And while I would recommend preparing more than an hour in advance, in fact, I think it's actually really (laughs) helpful to prepare way in advance. What she was doing was kind of that similar process to what I've described of that, like, you need to know the journey that you're going to take people on before you open your computer. And then you can start to look for, well, what are the images that would be really impactful? And and how do I want to tell this story visually in addition to my words? 
so let's say you're talking to me about this and I am giving a talk in a pathophysiology course and I have been asked to cover a tremendous swath of basic science in a very short period of time. And I think, well, Michelle, that's just fine for you, but no way can I do that in a biomedical presentation, right? So, so what do you, you know, how do you have that conversation and what do you recommend? So I think this has been the fallacy of much of undergraduate education for a very long time. We take a lot of information and we try to convey it all. And it's just, and then we wonder why our learners are overwhelmed. Um, they don't remember things and it's incredibly stressful. And I personally feel we need to get a lot better at honing in on conceptual information. And that that's really what our learners need to leave with. They don't need to leave with all the details. Yeah. And the other really important thing is they can fill in details later. And so one of the critical things I recommend about giving a talk where there is more information that you want to convey than you can legitimately do in 20 minutes or however long your talk is, create a handout that is not your slides because your slides should be meaningless without your narration, but that is genuinely a handout that summarizes your key points, adds in the details that you couldn't put into your talk that they can use as a study guide later. And I think that that is wildly more effective because then people are actually listening in the moment because you're focused on that key information that you want them to know. Otherwise, what typically happens is they're scram, you know, they're writing a whole bunch of chicken scratch on paper, trying to get down all of these things because they can't pick out the main ideas from all the details that you're providing. And that's a problem in education. That's a big problem. And I'm going to and I'm going to correct one thing you said is that you said I think that. It's not that you think that. You think that because you know that because that's evidence-based. Correct. Um, we know that if we provide too much information at the point of, you know, not the point of care, but the point of teaching, and we're trying to convey a concept, and you have people looking at a huge amount of words that all it is is cognitive overload, and you've now detracted from that concept that you were hoping to get across. And I want to make another really critically important point about cognitive overload. Um, so there's a fundamental scientific fact that we process language um, through this. So, so basically written language and spoken language are processed through the same linguistic channel in our brain. And so anyone who thinks they can write a bunch of words on a slide and then speak a lot of words that don't exactly match up with those words on the slide, all you've done is create a linguistic traffic jam that actually impedes learning. So I really, really emphasize this point because 
we are scientists. If you understand that there is a scientific basis for why what you're doing doesn't actually work, then why would you continue doing it? You wouldn't do that in medicine. So why would you continue doing it in education? Yeah, absolutely. And and I realize that it it might seem strange to be talking about strategies for effective visual teaching without being able to see what we're discussing. But I really think there's value to thinking and talking about visuals and the rationale and the theory behind what we do, um, because it's a very hard thing to change. I am, I find it also, well, not as much as I used to, but I also still find it difficult. Um, you know, when I'm giving a presentation and I, and I first start constructing it to pare back and to get rid of as many words as I can, because it takes, it takes quite a, it takes some real intent thought to say, you know, what, but what am I, what's the concept I'm really trying to get across? And so what do I want to emphasize with that visual? And I'll, I'll say another thing about visuals, and that is that the visual is actually processed through a different channel into your brain. And this is why speaking with a picture that reinforces your word rather than detracting from it, has an additive effect to learning. And so I'm going to give an example that we've all seen before. We all have M&Ms, those conferences where we learn about a patient case. And how many times have you gone to an M&M and you get the entire written out history, the physical exam, the laboratory findings, in a whole bunch of text on slides. Now I challenge you the next time you develop an M&M conference, think about how you can transition those visual, visuals to something different. So if you are going to stand there and tell the story of the history of present illness, then just put, if it's a patient who's got crushing chest pain, just put a picture of somebody up on the slide clutching their chest mm-hmm. who looks a little diaphoretic mm-hmm. and then speak your words. Yep. Because then people can listen to what you're saying, really focus in on that, and your picture reinforces what you're trying to convey. And it's- we also know that if you if you see a visual that is um that stimulates emotion, emotion mm-hmm. right? That that helps us to, and I know I'm not using the right words because I'm not an educational psychologist, but that helps us to um, to solidify that that it helps us to remember the concept that we're learning at the same time that we're seeing that visual that evokes emotion. So there's there's so many benefits to doing that. What's um, something that you find is helpful? for anxiety when giving a presentation. We know that that's just so common and all of us have it or had it, you know, to some degree or another at some point. So how do you manage that? That's such a great question. And I will tell you, I have horrible performance anxiety and speaking anxiety. So much so that when I used to be an opera singer, I'm I'm very light skinned and I blotch all over my chest and my face. It looks literally like somebody threw tomatoes at me. 
And so I, um, you know, I, I asked a lot of people that question, like, what do you do for anxiety? And, you know, some of it is kind of breathing exercises in advance, a little bit of meditation works for some people, but that just, it didn't cut it for me. And so I was laughing because one of my <laughs> instructors actually said, just go take a shot at the bar before you <laughs> have to give your presentation. I said, no, no, no. I don't think that that's what I want to do. I don't want uh, uh, alcohol or benzos. But I finally, um, so I do, I do drugs I, and I take propranolol. Um, it's a wonderful thing for me because I have such physical symptoms um, to kind of squelch that anxiety to just take, yeah. my, um, take my temperature down a notch. And it's worked beautifully for me now for more than 10 years. Yeah, super effective. And and as are those other things, right? But I think that I love the point that you make that it's also really individualized. Um, but I like I like talking about it because I like to normalize it for people. Yes. You know. <laughs> and I also often will, you know, say particularly to the students, you know, you have to remember that when you're up there giving a presentation, people want you to succeed. They want they're there because they want to hear what you have to learn. They're not there to to tear you down or criticize you. So that's all. I always sort of remind myself of that as well. Um, so I just want to ask you one last thing, which is I really like to get to a point in all of our podcasts where we get super practical so that somebody could walk away and, and do something different if they wanted to. So what is one thing, one really tangible, specific thing that somebody could do to make a difference in the quality of their presentations today? I think the most important is what I started with, which is that core message. Know that idea that you want to walk them, your audience to walk out of that room with and really, really keep driving it home. Be authentic about it. Let it speak from your heart. Something that you're passionate about. People will sense it and they'll want to walk away with what you want them to learn. Michelle, thank you so much for talking to me today and for sharing your expertise with our listeners and for letting me steal your amazing presentation for all of these years to help others to be better presenters. It has been really transformational for so many people. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. I'm Lisa Coplett. Thanks for listening. I would like to thank the people who contributed to this show, Katie Lyons, our producer, and David DeRoche, our program director. For more information on other faculty development opportunities at Netter, email K-A-T-I-E dot L-Y-O-N-S at Q-U dot E-D-U. For more information on all of Quinnipiac's podcasts, visit Q-U dot E-D-U slash podcast. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Q-U Podcasts. Mm-hmm.